This week on the Dragzine Podcast, small tire racer Mark Mickey joins us to talk things like Pro 275, learn about some transmissions and torque converters, and just the progression of heads-up racing. So, pull those belts tight, get ready to put into the beams. The Dragzine Podcast starts now. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week, Mark Mickey joins me and we talk a little bit of everything about his early career in racing and, you know, just how much heads up racing has progressed and what it takes to make a drive line of these cars last. And most importantly, we get to hear from him the story of the Midnight Rider. So make sure that you uh, stick around for that. So without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right, my guest this week on the Dragzine Podcast is Mark Mickey. What's going on, Mark? Hey, not much, man. Just, you know, working, trying to get everybody ready for NHRA this weekend and Sweet 16 next weekend. So I, I was going to say, it's uh, it's a, you know, it's always busy for you, but I'm sure it's extra busy with cheese this time of year because everybody needs their stuff 10 minutes ago. Yeah, well, especially, you know, last week with the, the Pro Mod race in Orlando. Heck, most of our guys were down there all week and, you know, I had a, we had a number of customers, you know, put up to 30 runs on their stuff last week. So we're uh, we're kind of reeling from that a little bit, trying to get everybody fixed up and, you know, put back together and get ready for Gators this weekend. You know, it's the first race for the Pro Mon, so it's a pretty big deal. Everybody's pretty pumped. So. Oh, yeah. You know, that's it, it, it's funny you mentioned 30 runs. That's, to me, that's insane considering how much – power that people are pumping through those transmissions is that you know is that the new norm for you guys or what's that all about yeah i mean our nhra stuff you know being quarter mile um they, it beats on them a little bit harder than you know your average eighth mile or you know outlaw stuff so yeah we try and um keep keep the maintenance up really tight on those you know my guys normally you know 25 30 runs we like to take everything apart check it out you know roll some parts in them and you know, there's a lot at stake over there because, you know, there's a lot of expectations with the NHRA and, you know, they get the qualifying, you know, they only get four qualifiers, so you don't have a lot of time to make mistakes or have a problem. So, yeah, it's a little more pressure over there for oh. sure. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think this is a good way to kind of roll into our, our first topic that we kind of hit on in the, uh, in the pre-call deal is, you know, I've always heard like, – I'm still relatively, I guess, newish to the radio game – and mm -hmm. I've always heard that you'd been around for a while racing and whatnot. You know, what's kind of, how did you get into heads up racing? Um, you know, we kind of started, oh God, I'm trying to think when we really probably got started. We probably got started, you know, 97, 98. We, our local track was um, Ozark Speedway in Springfield. And, um, you know, they always had a heads up program back then. Um, and just kind of, you know, got involved in that, you know, doing a lot of small tire stuff. And kind of got involved in big tire, you know, outlaw pro mod stuff. So, you know, just kind of, kind of just evolved into that, you know, didn't start, you know, started with a bunch of junk and not knowing anything and just, you know, just paid our dues and kind of worked our way up. So what was the first heads up car that you actually drove? Uh, first one I had, I had a 71 Chevelle. I actually still have that car. Oh, nice. um, that'd been my first heads up. We used to race, it was kind of called limited, um, you know, like 28, 28 inch tire, you know, big block nitrous. And it's, you know, I think the car has been, you know, mid 550, 560s, you know, which back then we thought was fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's all definitely changed around now. But, um, but yeah, that kind of started with that and then got into, we had a 67 Camaro. Um, we ran, we campaigned that for a, a lot of, a lot of years and um, Outlaw 10 5. That's kind of where we really got started, you know. I'm going to say, um, you know, more hardcore, you know, kind of get taken a lot more serious as once we got into the, into the outlaw 10, five stuff. So. That's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, you, you see that progression and, and, you know, what you start out and then what you end up in and what was it like jumping from that local heads up deal to kind of stepping into an outlaw 10, five role? Because back then outlaw, you know, I remember it was the outlaw 10, five freak show. That was some, some wild stuff. Yeah, it was, you know, we, we started with the, with the 67 Camaro. We had a, you know, a big block nitrous motor, um, running four nineties, you know, then kind of got involved with pro charger. So we kind of, you know, we're early with pro charger in the whole, you know, um, heads up scene. Um, so kind of got that, you know, big block 
pro, you know, seeing we had the old side slinger pro chargers and stuff on alcohol. And you said, you know, kind of started with mechanical fuel injection on them, you know, kind of crude, but that's how we started. And I mean, it was a big jump, you know, and then we tore a lot of stuff up and beat a lot of parts up, you know, to get, to get a handle on it. But once we got rolling with it, we were pretty successful, you know, back in the day with that car. And, and um, that just kind of, you know, built on everything else, which we kind of took, it took off from that. So it's crazy when you start looking back at stuff like that, just, you know, how much the progression has come in the, in the, in the area of heads up drag racing in that sense with small tires. I mean, it, you know, it was something that was practically unheard of. And then it's just kind of turned into this completely different animal that we have today. Oh yeah. I can remember, I'm going to say it was probably 99, 2000. We went to Prescott, Arkansas with a 10, five outlaw race. And I remember we pulled in the gate and they had a bounty for the first four second run, you know, at the racetrack out of anything. So, you know, I think we threw in our hundred bucks and we went like four ninety five first hit. So that was a pretty big deal back then, you know, anything four nineties and hell now street cars damn near go that fast. So yeah, I know. Isn't that insane? Yeah, it's crazy. So it you know, kind of going off of that, how did you end up getting hooked up with uh, Jason and the now infamous Blue Malibu? Um, no, you know, kind of, we'd raced, you know, Jason from Kansas City, Missouri. I'm from Jefferson City, Missouri. So, you know, local to each other, I guess. Um, and just, you know, raced against each other some through the years and knew about each other. Um, and then I think probably in 2010 or 11, we started doing some transmission work for Jason in the Malibu and then you know became friends and then we just kind of I don't know if anything specific turned you know just started going to the race helping a little bit and it just kind of you know I guess so it's always interesting when you start seeing people get kind of like hooked up like that and kind of working together and you know what's it been like you know forming a team like that and you know kind of having this partnership that you guys have how's that work you know for your for your racing endeavors um, it works good, you know. Um, Jason is just as uh, more passionate than I am, probably, about the whole the whole racing program. I mean, he, it's, that's all he lives for is to race that car. So, and you know, we both have a good mindset. You know, we want to win. That's what we kind of show up to do. Um, doesn't always actually work like that, but you know, I guess that's what we're always thinking. You know, we we're going there to win. Um, and just we get along. We're good friends. You know, we just both got the same mindset and. We just go out and we have a really good time, you know, have a lot of fun. And, you know, that makes it a little easier when you're out having having a good time doing it too. So, Yeah, it's it's when you're having a good time and it doesn't feel like a job makes it a lot easier when things go wrong, for sure. Yeah, for sure, yeah, because these cars will test you. That's for damn sure. I mean, they'll, you know, they for every good run you make, you get 10 that aren't so good, you know. So. Yeah, and it gets to the point where, you, you know, you'll – something, you know, you – you'll load up a tune-up or set up, set up, you're like, man, this is going to work, and then it doesn't work, and you're totally questioning everything that just happened. Oh, yeah, that's that's my weekly routine pretty much when we're racing, yeah. So, but, um, and it's a lot, you know, it's 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 just evolving. I mean, it, I guess everybody's better now, you know, just uh, not just us or, you know, all our competitors and all our crew chiefs and whoever is out there racing with us now. I mean, everybody's gotten a lot better, so it's not quite, you know, 15 years ago when we were doing it, we had no clue what we were doing. We just put stuff in the car and it, hope it worked, you know, and kept just beating it to death until it did. So Beat it into submission, right? Pretty much, yeah. So it, that's, I think that's one of the more fascinating, like, technical sides of the, the heads-up racing is how everything is kind of gotten to the point where not just, you know, one person is, like, dominant. Like, you know, Big Daddy Dwayne Gutrich for a long time was – he was – so hard to beat and now you come to these events and you've got your perennial favorites but at the same time it's if you're betting on them it's not always good to slide all your your rent money on them for a side bet (laughs) no i'm telling you i mean yeah the past i mean it's always been tough in the heads up stuff but i'm gonna say the past five years i mean everybody's elevated their game so so yeah when you show up you know let's say you used to have to worry we'd show up and you'd have maybe one or two cars you really kept an eye on that, you know, those are the guys we're going to have to run with. And man, now the whole field, you know, you show up and you got 
the 20, 30 guys that can, you know, can outrun you at any given second, you know, or, and, um, so yeah, definitely, you know, definitely changes your mindset. Like I said, you got to really be on top of what you're doing nowadays. So. Is a competitor, does that make it more fun knowing that it's not just, oh, I'm going to make the show and this, that, and the other? Does it make it more fun for you to, you know, have to know that you're going to have to fight to get in the field and then you've got four rounds where you're going to have to battle it out or more? Yeah, I mean, it's a competition. I mean, honestly, that's probably why everybody does this at the end of the day is a competition. So, yeah, I mean, when it's when the competition's elevated, that, you know, we definitely enjoy that more. It, it makes it a lot more stressful. I mean, you know, there's a lot more stress in it now than there ever was but like i said we um we all thrive on that so purely from a selfish fan and media person point of view i absolutely love the elevated level of competition because it just makes like when eliminations start to me it just has this different electric feel for a lot of the heads up classes. Like it's every round you know you're if you're smart you're on your edge of the seat because there are no gimmies no, and you know, you take, you take, especially you take like RVW, you know, every run, I don't care if it's qualifying or you know, eliminations, it's it's you got to load it up with everything you got, you know. It's like you know, there's no, I'm gonna take it easy this round, or we're just gonna kind of you know put a soft A to B in it. No, you can't do that anymore. You know, you do that, you're gonna be at the bottom of the qualifying sheet, or you're gonna be going home first round. So. Oh, so, yeah, you really got to be ready to, to let it hang out. So You got to let it hang out. And a lot of times you'll hear racers talk about, you know, that their strategy is the smart strategy is, you know, I'm just racing whatever, you know, the track's going to give me, which you absolutely have to do. But then sometimes you got to put a, you know, a couple extra pounds of boost in there depending on who you're running because they could be equally if tough, if not tougher than what you're doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're 100% right. Yeah, you can't you can't take anything for granted and you can't lay up because chances are the guy you're going to run is not, you know, he's going to, he's going to give it, give it, the, give it everything he's got. So, so yeah. And it, it, there's a lot more, you know, I guess you, I guess you stress about it more, you know, I know me when you're tuning the car, you know, you, you think you've changed the tune up 15 times before you ever get up to the starting line, you know, so you really gotta, you gotta think it through and I mean, hope you make the right call because, you know, a lot of times you don't, you know, and they go up and smoke. That's, you know, but that's part of the way it is now. So kind of speaking on that, I got a really cool picture. I took of you up at the shakedown up at Norwalk a couple of years ago. And it was, it was funny because it was just the, the push car wasn't there. Jason wasn't around. It was just you with the laptop on top of the car tuning. And oh yeah. That's cool. That picture right there. And I, I've been able to kind of snap similar pictures for other racers here and there but it was the first time i've got one someone was in the station lane staging lanes and that right there summarizes exactly what you mentioned there that as a racer you constantly are in the tuner you have to be thinking about what you're going to do to to make that best run possible well yeah i mean and you know i kind of i finally broke myself like now i really don't take the laptop to me or with me to the staging lanes i kind of kind of leave that back in the in the pits and just you know try and make my call there because usually you got better information and you know it's tough you get up on this you get up and you're waiting in the staging lanes and all of a sudden somebody throws down this huge number and then you're thinking you know man i don't have near that tune-up in it didn't plan on coming up with that and a lot of times you got to be careful because you'll change it or you get out of your groove and you know doing something stupid you'll put yourself so, in the weeds on accident yeah pretty much so i kind of now i you know like what I do with it's nice. We, we run the fuel tech system. So I'll load myself like three tune-ups in there and, you know, you can just change them at the touch of a button. So I'll go up with those three. And if I can't get it done with those, you know, that's what I, you know, that's just, just what I'm going up with. Mild, hot and spicy, right? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that's it. And you just kind of, I hate to say, you know, you don't, you watch the other cars and you don't want, you know, like I don't watch everybody, but you know, certain cars are going to, and what the crew chiefs are doing, you know, if, if, if you've got five guys that you know can go down and they all spin, then you got to be like, you know, hey, i got to change my stuff. Or it's the same again. If you see those five go up there and they throw down big hero runs, then you got to be ready to step up right there too. So, see, The guy that I crew for a lot of times will do the same thing. He'll leave the laptop back 
at the trailer and we'll just go up with what do we have. And the only information I'll feed him is like right before he goes up to make the hit, you know, we'll do a last track check and be like, all right, well, you know, it's doing this, doing that, you know, be ready to go to the right, to the left, or, you know, say a prayer. I don't know what's going to happen because this track's kind of sketchy. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that, that I think a driver and a tuner, you kind of almost want that versus having that option to kind of tickle the keyboard. Yeah. Well, that's it. You got to kind of know what to plan for. And, you know, I don't know. I, I get, we get caught up like, you know, I, I do, I drive and I do tune Jason's car. Um, and sometimes that's, that's good. And a lot of times that's bad, you know, because when you're driving, you got a lot of stuff, you know, if you know the tune up, I'm sitting there worrying about everything, you know, did I do this right? Did we do this right? And a lot of times, like if I drive for somebody, I don't really think of any of that stuff. So you're just jumping you know, in the car you, and yanking the wheel. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, they'll tell you, Hey, hold on or, you know, be careful, but that's about it. You know? So it's a double-edged sword doing both of them for sure. So I can imagine. Cause yeah, like you said, you're, you're, wor- you're worried about tearing stuff up and you know, when it's not, not your car, all you got to worry about is just not crashing the car. Everything else is, you know, that's on them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the times that it is good is when you know what tune up you've got in it and about half track is stuck it, you know, and it's going, then, you know, you know, you know, what's coming then. So I guess that's the good side of it. So. You know, you've driven a lot of different combinations of cars. What's it like, you know, specifically with a turbo car when it's on a dirty, nasty run? What's that feeling like? Um, man, I, there's no other car like it. I mean, the turbo cars, especially an RVW car, when it gets to 100, 150 foot, it is unbelievable. I mean, it's indescribable how much the raw power of the car comes in and you know with that tire it's stuck i mean the motor's just i don't even know how to describe the motor like in jason's car at about a second and a half you know we're putting you know you're shoving 80 pounds of boost in it you're locking it up i mean you're doing you know leaning it down throwing the timing at it and you're giving it everything and the the motor just shudders in the car i don't know how else to describe it you know you can tell the motor's not you know it's pissed off and it's shuddering but the car just accelerates and then a turbo car, it never stops accelerating. I mean, it would go, you know, until I guess you just blew it up. But they're just, they're just unbelievable pull all the way out the back and the noise that they make. They're just, the motor's just screaming. Um, you know, and I've driven other stuff. A nitrous car, they're bad fast, but you get the half track and you're kind of waiting on, the, you know, to pull the chutes the deal. And lower cars, kind of the same, you know. They're, they're, they make it all up front, get to the 330 and kind of, doing what they're going to do so but man the turbo stuff is is just unbelievable so it's it's always interesting to hear like especially with quarter mile cars like a really nasty turbo car make a pass because depending on how they have the tune-up set up you can hear when like you said when that thing's pissed off and it's rolling out it's a completely different sound yeah i mean they're like this weekend you know when you listen if you're you know with the quarter mile cars we we stood a lot down about you know right past the eighth mile and man you could the turbo cars you could physically see it you know when they're getting out there at half track they just like go into a whole nother gear when they're going out the back so alex laughlin described it that with a turbo car running quarter mile he said there's two launches there's the one at the starting line and then there's one at the eighth mile yeah he's right i mean that's that's how it feels because you know they leave good they 60 good but nowhere near you know as you're doing so much power management on them early to keep them in check that when you finally cut them loose i mean they're just they're just a monster so speaking of monster runs you know we can talk about the uh this for the first sweet 16 where you guys pretty much you know you, you talk about writing your name in the history of books of winning an unprecedented event like that you know I guess the first thing I'd want to touch on was, you know, the the home run derby session of qualifying where you, Stevie, and Dwayne started throwing down those massive numbers. What was it like from your perspective sitting in the lanes, going through that, watching it all happen? Um, Man, it was wild. You know, we, we showed up at that race. And we had a decent tune-up. And we were we were running good that year. So we had a good, good year going. Um, you know, we unloaded the car and first run put a good tune up in it and it went out and smoked the tires. And I'm like, man, you shouldn't have done that. Well, we come back and started looking at the data. Well, the air conditions and the weather and the track were so good that, you know, we just, you know, I'm like, man, these things are going to haul ass. I mean, you know, it's here, you know, look at this, what we can do. And so we just, you know, kind of started 
you know, we got it, came back, made a decent run, and then just started pecking at it. And we just kind of watched everybody ahead of us, and they were, you know, you know, running career best. So, you know, and we just, I just started loading it up. And that fits a little, that's more, you know, if I, I would say I had any kind of style, I really like that, you know, where we can really get after it hard, put a lot of power into it, and run it super aggressive. And, you know, it just worked out for us. Um, and I think the biggest thing was, we had the perfect conditions and we had a, a phenomenal racetrack, you know, so, and we had how many, you know, eight or 10 shots at, I don't remember what it was. It was just ridiculous, you know? So I think it was like 10, yeah, 10, it was 10 total, which is, it was nuts. I mean, it, the best thing about that for, for anybody was you could make a run and you could, you know, see what you did, come back, make your changes. And when you went up, you know, you're going back up 45 minutes later, you had the exact same racetrack and the exact same conditions. So that's really hard to come by normally, you know, because normally you're, you're not up there that fast. You're, you know, you're not there that big, that quick a turnaround. And there's normally a lot more swing in the weather and the track conditions throughout the day. But for some reason, you know, whatever happened at that race, it just stayed consistent through the whole qualifying. And that's, I think that's why, at least for us, that's why we were able to do what we, we did just because we knew we, every time we went up there, we knew, what we could do with it, I guess, you know, cause we, you know, just come off the racetrack just briefly right before that. So. And from a tuning standpoint, having that, like that wealth of data to play with is just, that's, that's the gold mine. That's, that's the dream right there. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that race, you know, I think we went, I think it was that, that I don't remember third or fourth round, you know, Dwayne went to 69 and, Stevie went to 68, we went to 67. I mean, how much better does it get? I mean, it was just phenomenal. And then, you know, we did we did those runs, and I remember Wes Buck would come over, you know, and interview me, and I would tell him, you know, I, we went 67, and I said, yeah, I think we can go 64. And he kind of gave me the look like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> man, we had the same track. We loaded up, and bam, 64. And then comes back, and I was like, yeah, I think we can go 61 or 62. And there I got that same look, and then, and we're able to put it out there and hang on to it. So plus the and, mile and an hour. Yeah, the speed. Yeah, that was you know, we were running good. The the thing really had good air. And when you're going that fast early, you know, that allows you to run the speed out the back, you know, because you're hitting at three thirty instead of hitting it at a hundred, you're hitting it at hundred and twenty, you know. So and and we at that point in time, we just had the mindset we were, you know we were going to tear up anything we had to go like that. So go that fast. And we did, we were, a lot of people don't know. I mean, we were rolling pistons in that motor every two runs, you know, and, oh, and rods in it every three or four. So, you know, it wasn't easy. So, but it was, you know, I was like, man, we're never going to get this opportunity again, probably. So we might as well let it hang out. So I, I remember when that first race happened and I, I mentioned Andrew Wolfmatter. I'm like, man, I bet the engine, the converter and the transmission builders are going to hate life on Monday because they're going to get phone calls from everybody that has torn stuff up this weekend. Oh, guaranteed. Yeah. Everybody, that was a rough weekend. And that's what happens when you get all those runs. I mean, you just, you know, these, everything in these cars or every part in these race cars is just passing through. Nothing's there permanently. No, so, not at that level. Not at all. It's yeah. yeah it's paying rent. So, that's it. Yeah, that's it. So, you know, when you up the run count, guess what? That stuff comes through a lot faster. So, and when you run it that hard, I mean, you know, we, we get a lot of guys bust our ass. Cause like, you know, after that, we ran the rest of the year like that. And our, our parts bills were just outrageous. I mean, we, we went, well, we left sweet 16, went to Tyler's race in Bowling Green, backed up our 221. Then the next run literally dropped the crankshaft out on the racetrack. So, you know, and we're like, eh, we might back this up a little bit. I don't, you know, it's just getting too out of control for us. So, and, and for the listeners, when he says that they dropped the crankshaft, literally, as they were driving through the pits, I hear the scraping noise. I look over, I'm like, man, they break something on the suspension. And then you go back and I, I see the engine and everybody's thrashing on it. And, like, it just looks like a Lego got heated up and smashed. That was impressive. Oh, yeah, I still have a picture. I'd send people. I had one of my crew guys reached in and grabbed the torque converter, the flex plate, and the back of the crankshaft were all still together, but laying in between the frame rails. Yeah. You know, and, and threw it over on the ground with, you know, 
with it all still bolted together and people were like holy crap and we were all the same you know and yeah that was a bad one we i mean we tore everything up it, you know it got them we got motor trains converter you got drive shaft i mean it tore everything up on the race car so that's some like nitro level carnage that's insane it was, yeah it was we were all later and then we were like i mean we had enough parts we we had a killer crew we put it back together and made the next round but whew, i'm telling you after that we got home and i'm like mm. You know, I don't know if I'm I'm willing to work this hard anymore. So <laughs> let's not do that again. Yeah, I was like, no, we're done with that. We're not going to do that again because it was pure luck that the thing didn't just burst into a ball of fire and crash into the wall. You know, I mean, there was, uh, you know, everybody's like, Ken, you did a hell of a job driving that thing. I'm like, no, <laughs> I got lucky. <laughs> yeah, that was pure luck. That's all that was. So, it, you know, with the Sweet 16, you guys winning that first deal. You know what? What was that like? You know the, the the iconic picture of all the cars together. I mean, you talk about a murderer's row of radial versus the world car, and then is it even ever still sunk in that you guys conquered just a gnarly field? Yeah, you know, I still look at. I got the picture hanging in my in my shop here. You know, and you look at it, and it's like, you know, it's it's hard to knowing that's the competition we had. You know, it just we take a lot of pride in it because that was very hard to do. I mean, just for anybody and for us to go out and, and do every, you know, set the records and do all that, you know, that's a once in a lifetime deal, really. You know, I don't know if we'll ever, I just can't imagine we'll ever be able to top that as far as that kind of performance and, and that kind of dominating performance. And I'm really pleased, you know, I mean, everybody's won, you know, more races, but I don't know if anybody will be able to do what we did there you know, over the amount of the type of cars that we had, you know, it's not like that's like you said, the 16 baddest in there is period, you know, and any kind of door car racing and, and for what we were able to do, that was, that was, a you know, like I said, a lifetime achievement for us. Well, what makes it impressive to me is, you know, yeah, last year's field was quicker and faster. However, there was a year, like people knew what to expect going in to that race the first right. one no one had any idea how any of this was going to go down and you know there, there was no plan it was show up and run and to me that's not easy to do with cars with heads up cars yeah no i like i said it just it just fell into place i don't know something special about that race you know especially you know mainly for us i guess is just everything fell perfect for us you know it was just our weekend i guess you know the car, you know, we broke a lot of parts, but nothing, you know, we didn't have any parts breakage that put us out. Um, you know, we made all the runs. Um, I had a good weekend of driving, you know. Um, I did, yeah, it's just, I don't know how to tell people how do you, how to describe it. I just don't, it just all worked, I guess, you know, it just all fell together. There was a lot of preparation for it. You know, it wasn't like we just showed up out of the blue, but one thing I did, I told all my guys, you know, after we did that, you know, everybody, you know, that 62 was a huge number then. Um, and everybody's like, just unbelievable. We were even blown away. But, you know, I kept telling my guys, look, we we just showed everybody else how to do it. You know, they've got the time slip. So it, they're coming. You know what I mean? Once we showed them how to do it. And, and that's with any racing. I learned that. If somebody goes out, you know, we're watching like Stevie Fast and Marcus Bird at the front right now. We know how to do what they're doing. I just got to be able to do it. You know what I mean? I mean, I see where we have to make the, you know, what numbers we have to do and how we have to do it. Now, getting it implemented and making it work, that's a whole other story. But but the roadmap's there on how you do it. So. Yeah, and that, that's the thing is that race set the roadmap even further, I think, to, to put radial versus the world. And honestly, just, you know, radial tire heads up racing in general on this accelerated path of just insanity. It's for for a racing fan right now, this is the equivalent of, in my opinion, the the golden age of nitro racing. I really think yeah. it is. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you see it, and you, know, you take just that race. I mean, we've never had a a, a, le, a legitimate sixty run in RVW up until during that race. You know, Dwayne was the first to the sixties, and then to think by the end of the event we had a sixty two. I mean that's unheard of in head up heads up racing to gain make that big of gains that fast, and then look now you know fifty what's fifty four yeah I mean geez that's a year and a half later or a little over a year later you know fifty four that's another eight hundreds I mean it's just phenomenal that the cars are able to 
pick up that much. And a lot of it, I'll be honest, a lot of it goes, or a lot of the credit goes to the track prep guys. I mean, they've all stepped their track prep, track prep game up, and that's what's really allowed a lot of us to do what we can do. Yeah, so. it's it, it's science at that point that you, you have the uh, the the required you know stickiness and the lack of uh, lack of slip and enough friction. You can make any magic kind of stuff happen. Which at this point, you know, it was it was heresy to say, oh, you know, we're going to see a car in the fifties. Now we're like, all right, so who's actually going to be the first one in the forties? It's it's mind blowing. It really is. Oh, it is. It's coming. Yeah, I promise you, it's coming. You probably I wouldn't be if the weather's good next weekend. You're going to see it. Oh, totally. I have no doubt. There's maybe three to four cars that can do it. And then, like I said, if it's, you know, if it's 85 degrees, no, you're not going to see it. But if we get that, you know, 50s and 60s, you know, hold on. Oh. You know, Wade's going to tee off on the racetrack. You know, we're going to kill a racetrack. So, yeah, wait. At that point. Yeah, Wade's like driving the tractor in his sleep right now, getting ready for that deal. I mean, you know, the man just put down the, the sticky icky prep on the track at orlando and they set the pro mod and pro stock record you know it's yeah that that whole deal there those passes and the first five second import pass i mean it's it's getting to the point now where it's like we're going to get these records to a point like i want to see who's going to be the one that sets a record that's just never going to be broken i know and i don't know if you'll right now i don't know I, I, i don't see any any of the classes hitting a wall right now i don't see it you know, we're involved with the pro mods really heavy and, you know, with Justin going out and going that 62 this weekend, you know, I, everybody's like, you know, there's no way they can't believe, you know, how the, you know, nobody's going to go that fast and then bam, you know, 62 and then another 62. So that just tells you if, if the weather's good at Gators, who knows what you'll see. Oh yeah. You know? And especially coming out of just, no one saw that run coming out of that car. I, if anybody else tells you otherwise, they, they they might be fibbing a little bit because I sure as hell didn't see that coming. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we're we involved in it pretty good and with Brad tuning it um, and with all the pro-line people behind him. I mean, it, we kind of knew that was, you know, it was something big was going to happen with the Pro Charger cars. Because you even look, you know, Jose's car, you know, Eric went that 66 earlier in session. I mean, you know, just with those guys getting a hold of the Pro Charger stuff right now, I mean, it, just wait. I think you're going to see some really impressive numbers. Oh, so. I'm sure the NHRA technical department right now is stocking up on Pepto-Bismol. I mean, that's going to be <laughs> between that and the factory shoot supercars. It's like, that's going to be a rough weekend. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had to do a, I had the, the NHRA tech guy tore down Justin's converter after that round and we had to take all the converter apart for him. And I was like, I told, told, told all my guys and you know justin's guys i mean this is a compliment if these guys are tearing us down we did our job you know yeah so. yeah yeah when the, when the tech department's visiting you and like that that you know that that means you've done something that is it's honestly it's impressive yeah yeah if we're number 18th they're not even gonna know who we are so. no they, they don't care when you go out there and lay a rundown like that they want to come see what the hell what, yep. what did you do exactly so and kind of pivoting off of that, this is something you know, we talked about in the prequel I wanted to hit on, and it's something that I think has played a big part in what we're seeing as well, besides the track prep, is the explosion in technology and transmission and converters. I write a shitload of articles, and mm-hmm. I, a lot of times the fastest cars I'm writing about, I can almost put the money at, here it comes, they have an M&M transmission in it. What? Yep. What magical voodoo have you guys figured out in these transmissions and converters to make this happen? Man, it's not one thing. It's just, it's years of work. I mean, we've done this, you know, 27, 28 years. Um, It's just a lot of work. I mean, that's, people don't understand. I mean, we'll go with our teams. Like you take last week, you know, some of those guys put 30 runs on their cars last week before we even got to the race. And, you know, we're there with them and we're, we're trying parts and we're, you know, running different stuff through the cars. And I think that's the benefit we have over a lot of other people. I mean, there's tons of smart guys out there um, that, you know, probably smarter than we are, but we just work at it and we just put our heads down and just, just, you know, just work, work and keep an open mind. And another thing we're fortunate, we work with really good teams. You know, I mean, the, the guys that we get to work, work, work with are, the best in drag racing you know we get steve petty we get 
Brad Personette, you know, we get to work with Jay Cox on the Nitro side. I mean, Lee White. I mean, it, so you just take, you know, we take everything from those guys and, you know, we, we, we come up with stuff. They'll give us ideas and, and we just, it just feeds on it. And as you, you know, success kind of leads to more success. You know, if you keep pushing and pushing, you're just going to keep going. And that's our mil- That's our attitude. We don't, we're not going to settle for being the second tier transmission or torque converter company period. You know, so if it means we got to work 18 hours a day, seven days a week, that's what myself and all my guys here will do. So now with what you guys do with the trans, the, the, you know, the idea behind, you know, what these transmissions and what's been, you know, the, 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 it's hard to describe the, just the evolution of it. Do you really mm-hmm. just keep a super open mind about, trying different stuff and R&D stuff? Is it just, you know, mad scientist mode? I wonder if this is going to work, you know, and just play with stuff like that. We do. I mean, I'm honestly, I've, I've always just, I don't want to be closed-minded. I always, you know, tell myself, don't be closed-minded. Listen to other people. Pay attention to what other people are doing. You know, like I said, I'm not the smartest guy, period. There's guys that I, you know, know more about certain things than I do. So I just try and pay attention, you know, and, and not afraid to try stuff. Um, you know, we'll try stuff and it fails, period. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we do that doesn't work, but a lot of people don't see that because everything we try and do, you know, we kind of do in-house or we'll run in our own cars or select cars. So most people don't see the stuff that goes wrong because we don't let that out. You know, we just don't let it to our customers. We don't R&D to our customers, you know, and what have you. We don't try something and sell it to a guy and hope it works. So... I think that's where we're really good at that of making sure that everything leaves our shop or we put our name on is we've beat it up or tore it up before we've sent it out the door. So, And I think that's what makes a big difference when you're able to develop stuff like this. Cause I, I remember I talked with Marty chance about something similar years ago and he's like, he said the same thing. He goes, I can't tell you about what we're doing right now because I haven't, proven it yet i want to take it out and beat on it before i give it to anybody else to make sure it's going to work no he's right and i mean you know he's been you know and that's how guys like them are he's super successful you know and that's that's how you do it um you know we've got stuff in the works that we may not come out for a year with or come out with for a year you know it's you know that i know is going to work we just got to work you work the bugs out of it and we just you know we're working on it. So there's a lot more coming. It's just, you know, you just got to take your time with it because the problem, like the way we look at it is we can't afford to put something out there that's going to fail or, you know, give somebody trouble, you know, everything, you know, we have to make sure it's good because one, one major failure and it'll take you a year to recover from that, you know? So do you find yourself almost having to like sometimes kind of limit what you do because you'll start developing something new and just start unlocking oh well now it's going to do this do you almost have to like lock yourself down like we're only going to do this make sure it works and then kind of explore how it works with something else that's exactly how we do it you hit the nail on the head i mean that's yeah we've got all kinds of i come up with all kinds of stuff i want to do but it's like yeah let's do this first and see how that works and then we'll prove this and prove that you know you just you got to kind of do that because the other issue I look at in business is I don't want to, you know, come out with something new every month that obsoletes my stuff from before, you know I mean? So you gotta, you gotta pace yourself on that and make sure that, you know, you just keep a steady constant moving forward. So, it, you know, it, it's kind of got me fascinated now as well as from the R and D, especially on driveline components like this. Is it almost like you know, if you figure something out with the transmission and you say, well, maybe we could do this with the converter, you know, it, it gives you an idea with the converter. Do you do you want to wait until you get it refined a little bit more so you can really, you know, get the maximum impact from a change in another part? Yeah, and that, we do a lot of that. Um, that's some of the benefit that we have is we do the transmissions and torque converters, you know, we do everything in house. So that gives us maybe a little advantage over somebody that just does one, you know, um, cause we can kind of work, you know, we can design, like we have some torque converter stuff now in our lockup programs that are designed specifically to work with our transmissions that we're in, you know, we're able to do unique stuff that other guys necessarily can't do because, 
you'll have a torque converter guy and a transmission guy. Well, they're not the same, you know, so it's hard for them to make, you know, make their parts specific for just that one transmission to where that's kind of what we do now. Like we, you know, try and a lot of our stuff specific to us. You mentioned the lockups and, you know, some of our listeners there, they'll hear that, you know, phrase thrown out quite a bit, you know, whether it's, you know, racers complaining they can or can't use them in different aspects, you know, in your opinion, how much has the lockup converter changed the game, the modern lockup converter when it comes to, you know, high power drag racing? Um, it's, it's changed, um, a lot of how you treat the car. Um, I mean, that's why you see some of these huge numbers, um, especially with the nitrous cars. I'm going to, I'm going to say a nitrous car is the number one benefit of the lockup converter. Um, yeah. And it just, what it opens up, you know, like, like a quick, on a turbo car, like our, or an outlaw turbo car or an RVW turbo car. <clears throat> when we really started working the lockup and, you know, and really going after the lockup converters, you know, it locks the motor down and it lets you run more speed. Well, that's what everybody thought, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to with this lockup go 200s faster out the back. Well, what we did figure out then it allowed us to do a lot of different things with the torque converter up front, you know, so we could run a looser converter make it you know get the engine revved up higher because we know we have the lockup is going to get us out the back so at the end of the day the lockup actually makes you run the front better too not just the back so um, because it just lets you get away with a lot more in the torque converter because normally in a turbo car if i put a really loose stator in a turbo car it's going to 60 foot its ass off but it will never make the finish line well with the lockup I got both, you know, I can 60 foot really hard and then half track. I can lock the thing up and let it haul ass out the back. So see, and that to me is what makes drag racing so enticing to those that have that tinkering mind is that you have the ability that you, now you have that part and it's, it opens up this giant, wonderful world of ways to go a hell of a lot faster that you can, you can manipulate. Yeah, it just gives you more, I guess, gives the tuner more tools, you know. The more tools in your toolbox, the more you can do. And it trickles down to not only, you know, the the outlaw stuff is the, you know, the high horsepower heads up stuff is great because it it allows companies to figure out what the absolute bleeding edge of technology is. And then ultimately that stuff can trickle down to someone like me that's just running a bracket or an index car because it's a way that that technology is given data that can just be lockstep down to help other racers. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll take our RVW program and that's allowed us now we've, you know, we roll that into like X275 now and, you know, we're, we're rolling that into outlaw 632 cars. I mean, you know, it just, it just trickles down is how it works, you know, and just gives, gives, you know, we just see, you know, we'll, we'll make a run and we, Oh man, we could, you know, later on, I can say, I can use this in this combo or I can use this with this combo and it really helps. And, and but a lot of it, the benefit to the, like, like you just put, you know, uh, led on to was that with the, you know, the, the no holds barred outlaw drag radial stuff, there's no rules. So you can do whatever you can dream up. So that really lets us, try a bunch of stuff that we normally wouldn't try in a class racing. It's the ultimate, it's the ultimate test bed to just, like you say, you dream something up, you see what it works and then you figure out a way to, to make it work for other stuff. And then just, it bleeds on to more, more discoveries. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's, that's kind of how, you know, how we've been able to just keep it progressing. Speaking of discoveries, I know we talked a couple times at the, lights out you know with the the switch to pro 275 what did you guys kind of learn at that event that you're going to be able to apply at the sweet 16 um we learned we didn't know anything we didn't know shit at that event (laughs) so we were horrible at that event um you know it, it what it's taught me is i had to go back to race car basics a little more um you know i got a little spoiled with the rvw because of the prep that you race on and the bigger tire but you, you know, once the car is tuned in pretty good, you just, it's, you throw as much power as you can make at it. Um, the 275, I've had to go back to, you know, like I said, race car 101 and really, you know, work on the chassis, work on the shocks, work on, you know, just everything. And it's, it's, you know, I've had to get rid of my mindset of just 
super aggressive, kill it through the middle type deal. So um, it's a lot more finesse. I can tell you that that tires, you need a lot more finesse to get that tire to, to go down the track fast. You know, I mean, we can go out, I mean, at any, like now we can go high eighties, low nineties at will, but that's not what it's going to take to stay in the front of this class. So, and so that's, we've come home from, you know, our tail between our legs from lights out and we've revamped and regrouped and saw where we've made our mistakes. And I think we're, we're going to be setting pretty good. I mean, you know, there's a lot of fast guys out there, but, uh, you know, I, I, we're going to be at the top of the qualifying sheet by the end of the weekend, I'm pretty certain. So, See, and that's, that's what makes it fun to hear is that, you know, some you can learn a lot more sometimes, I think, from a failure than a success. And that yeah. and being able to pull that away gives you that edge. And that, that tire in that class, I think, humbled a lot of people at Lights Out 11 in a hurry. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, you know, with the weather the way it was, it was just tough. And so we didn't have the great – you know, we didn't have the super killer track prep. It was no fault of the prep guys. It's just the way it rolled out. And, you know, I just thought I could do it all with the keyboard and I figured out I couldn't, you know, so. It, it, I think, you know, with, with the Sweet 16 in the Pro 275 class, what are you seeing in your crystal ball on what it's going to take to do well at that event, you know, from a from a racer standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you'll see somebody, you know, I think – really probably marcus if you know they get their car back in time i think that car is going to go a 51 or 52 if, if the tracks there in the weather um you know probably a winning car is probably going to be 56 57 you know throughout the day would be my guess so it's fast um by just it blows me away that that's you yeah, have but i'm, I'm going to say that's what it's going to take um i'm going to say a pro 275 i think you'll see maybe a 71 or 72 will be the top of the board um and then i think you know realistically our mindset is to try and run from 78 to 82 eliminations so i mean my mindset is i think i can go 70 to 71 so if the track if i get a decent racetrack so i'd buy that for a dollar that you can pull that off and then kind of have it in the back pocket to make those other runs yeah, I mean, that's my mindset going into it now. You know, if I get there, Mother Nature says no, you know, who knows, yeah. I guess. You know, it, it could it could be 85 degrees or rain or what have you. So, you know, I guess it's easy to talk about it now, but I guess we're going to have to prove it. So It's the classic everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? <laughs> exactly. And they, that's my bit in my – that that's what got me at, uh, at uh, Lights Out is – I got it in my head that I could go this fast and instead of paying attention to what the racetrack was telling me, I just, you know, just wasn't listening. So, so hopefully I've got that out and I'm good now. So. Got, got that wild streak out. Need to get back to your roots, right? I hope so. I hope anyway. So. And, you know, kind of swinging off something else. And I, we, we talked about this in the pre-call and some people have heard the whispers of this, you know, I want to hear the legit story about the uh, the infamous Midnight Rider. What what what's that all about? Oh man, that was a long time ago. We were we were that's we were at Holly Springs. That's when you know that was the hotbed of drag radio. Period. Um, we were struggling. We were trying a bunch of stuff on the car, and we just we couldn't get anything done. And we were kicking our own ass and went through qualifying. We were horrible, and it got you know got late, and they shut the track down and well, we found our problem finally. So we're like, man, we found it. So, but the track shut down. It's all, you know, everybody's gone for the night. And my buddy, Mark Woodruff, you know, he's like, Hey, we'll just go out and make a run. And I'm like, well, nobody's around. And he's like, I'm like, sure. You know, so we put somebody down at the end of the track with a set of headlights shining on the track and kind of a car in the middle kind of shining. And so we load the car up and get, you know, get, get everything ready. So we're like, we're going to haul ass and tow up through the, through the pits real quick. Well, we're towing up through the pits. I mean, everybody's just giving us this look like, what are you doing? You know? And so we turn and, you know, Holly, you got to go up next to the track and then come back. So we fired up and did the burnout. And I'm telling you, everybody in the pits is running over there against the wall and it's pitch black. I could, all, I could really just see the end uh, where the headlights were of their car. And um, we're like, we'll run it to 60 foot. And if it takes, well, it hung on. So we ran it to about 3:30 and went, you know, blasting off into the dark. And 
made the turn real quick and rolled right back into the pits because we were pit at the end. So everybody comes down there, you know, and it was, you know, some people were laughing. There was some of our competitors were pretty pissed off. So the next day the Jabo was running it and he's like, well, what went on here? And we're like, and we don't know shit. You know, we don't know anything. And uh, he's like, all right, I didn't see it. So I can't do anything about it. So that's kind of it. So it was dumb when you look back at it, but, you know, what the hell, we had a good time with it. So that's amazing. <laughs> that, yeah. I, I'd i heard a similar, that lines up to what I heard from my friends. It was camping at the track. And he said, he said something, he goes, man, we're just sitting there. All of a sudden we hear a car doing a burnout and then a car makes a pass. And he goes, we weren't ready for that. <laughs> no, nobody was. And like I said, it was, everybody was just dumbfounded. So, you know, and like I said, it, it just worked out a holly. You could go up the hill and I just made the turn in where the way we were pitted rolled right back into the pits. And we just tried to play it off. So yeah, like, I don't know what we were, we were spool testing. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. That's we were like, we don't know anything. So that's gangster. Yeah, one of the fun things, you know, it's like I said, some of the dumb stuff we used to do. So it, it falls underneath the classification of what well, seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, it was a great idea. Mark Woody's, you know, Woody drags me into a lot of that shit. So he's like, yeah, this, this will work perfect. And then later it's like, yeah, I don't know if that was such a good idea. But, you know, the next day we were all sweating a little bit. But, uh, you know, at the end, everybody, you know, kind of it laughed it off and went about our way. I don't, if we did that at a track now, Jesus, man, it would, it would not go well. Oh, it'd so, be, it'd be all over Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, you know, instantaneously. Yeah, yeah, because we've always joked we're somewhere and we're like, nah, we'll be in jail if we do that here. So Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like I try to tell people that from a media standpoint, when you go to an outlaw race versus an NHRA race, it's the the rules in the way that the decorum are at those races is like if you if you can do it at an outlaw heads up race, you can't do it at an NHRA race. Just keep that in Pretty mind. Much. Hundred percent. Yeah. No, you got any, you know, any, any NHRA sanctioned track or any, especially NHRA national events. Yeah, it's all on the straight and narrow. You, you don't think of that kind of stuff. So yeah, and it, it, to a point, you know, it's fun to be able to do some of that. But some of the times, it's you know, I'll see stuff happen on a track. I'm like, man, that could have ended badly in so many different ways. Oh yeah, it was definitely a lot of bad decisions made on those outlaw tracks over the years. Oh, totally. Sure. And some of the outlaw events that I've been to, it's like, man, that is so, – like, there's there's this track here in Ohio where I went to college at called KD Dragway. It's that track that goes up, that goes uphill at the end of the track. Yeah, yeah. That place, like, I wanted, I'm going to do a story there this year, but to go there and race is – it's so hard to describe because people literally, like, the way the guardrail is, there's no fence. So you do a burnout and you're rolling up to the starting line and there's people that are like their feet are on the track and they're close <laughs> enough they could touch you. It's oh, it's, I know, isn't it amazing? So, and we used to do that. If you think I think back all the years, especially with the Outlaw Ten Five stuff, you know that was pretty wild back in the day. So yeah, you know we had Huntsville, we had what well, we had Twigs, what uh, you know we ran Prescott, Arkansas, we went to Jackson, Tennessee. I mean all those little bitty eighth miles and the stuff we did at those. I don't know how any of us survived. Oh, so yeah, you know I can remember. I think it was Twigs. Back in the day, we we went, and you would do the burnout, and literally could not see the starting line, and had no, the crowd of people, and you just did the burnout, and they just parted as you came through doing the burnout. Oh. It was ridiculous back then, but that's just the way it was. We didn't think anything of it. So. Maybe um, I don't know if I'm getting older or wiser, but you know, I look at the stuff now, and I'm trying to think more for my own protection because. Things there are so many different ways you can get hurt at a drag strip, and you have to pay attention. I mean, look at lights out when that car the throttle hung, and that dude skipped that off the wall. That was oh my god, yeah. <laughs> that's that starter's lucky he didn't lose a leg. I mean, that was that was insane. Well, if that happened during like an RVW session, there'd have been forty people mowed over oh. with that thing. So yeah, yeah, I know. I, anymore, like myself, I hardly ever go to the starting line. I normally stand on the fence when I'm watching cars, unless I'm actually up there specifically with a customer or something that I have to be there. But yeah, they intimidate me. You know, even I don't, I do not like to stand up on the starting line. They're doing burnouts and all that stuff. So you, the way that I tell people, and I explain this to my wife, the first time she went and shot a drag race with me with photos, I said, you have to treat these cars like they are wild animals and they can bite you at any point. If you were in a cage with a bear, would you take your eyes off the bear? No. 
I'm like, exactly. I'm like, think of these things as big, scary animals with teeth. Don't ever take your eyes off them. No, yeah, you got to respect them. That's what I, one thing I've learned: done it long enough, and crashed enough, and burned enough. That yeah, I got a lot more respect for them than I ever thought I, you know, or used. To, I used to, I don't know, younger, you know, probably when you're young, you don't think of most of that stuff. You so, think you're invincible. Pretty much, yeah. You know, when I was 25, I never thought about making it to 50. Well, now that I'm 53, I'm like, man, I really need to like to make it to about 80 or more. So I was like, I got to start changing some stuff up and slowing down on some of this. So what the other thing that I try to explain to people that are going down to like shoot top end or hang out at the top end, I'm like, parachute baskets are not your friends. Know where they are at all times. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be down there. I, I even just, I'm very nervous anymore after, after you turn off, you know, I'm constantly you get clear. You, you roll as far as you can to get away from that nonsense. Oh yeah. I've seen guys being taken out by shoots so many times. And it's like, yeah, I don't want any part of that. Well, so. Did you see that video last year of that NHRA track worker that got snatched up by a, a parachute? Oh yeah. I saw that. And I actually had one of my crew guys years, I think in an NMCA Brayton race back when we had the pro mod, he got hung in one. A, a guy came by him and he was, behind my car and the shoot caught him and drug him out of the race car oh. so it was bad i'm like oh so i the, the first time i shot top end pictures you know i was i thought i was far enough down i thought i knew what i was doing and i didn't take into account a car pro mod got a little close to the uh to the wall and that parachute basket skipped off the wall just you know in front of me but it didn't hit me thank god but it made me realize I need to pay attention because that thing, when it hit the wall, it hit with enough force that, I mean, it, there was a dust cloud that came off the top of the wall. I'm like, if I'd have been standing there, that'd have been bad. Hell yeah. I'd take your head off or got a hold of you and drag you behind it or something. So yeah, I mean, yeah, no, you gotta, that's one thing I've learned. You've got to pay attention anymore at the track. So, you know, I, I like to kind of ask my, my guests as well, you know, everybody's racers and you know, that we all like things that are loud, fast and dangerous. What, if you were able to jump into any car and go race it, what would you race in besides a, oh. a radial car? Um, Man, I really would love to, to go back race a top pro mod car. I would love to. A quarter mile, um, a, a blown pro mod car. That would be my ultimate, what I would want to drive now. So, Yeah, um, that the, the noise yeah. those things make at the top end is just phenomenal. Yeah, I kind of miss, you know, back in the day, we ran, I ran pro chargers forever and Man, the the blower cars are the funnest cars to drive. Just just all your senses, you know, they're just insanely loud. They're obnoxious. They rattle. They vibrate. And I don't know. Just like this weekend, man, watching those uh, those quarter mile roots blown cars. Those things got to be a blast to drive. So, oh yeah. You know, they're just how loud that thing is, and just the burnout and all that. Just just it really looks like it'd be a lot of fun. So. Don Lamana told me when he, you know, switched to the blower car, I was like, what's the biggest difference between this and the turb, you know, besides, you know, it being a turbo versus a blower, you know, is, is it really, you know, a sensory overload? He goes, dude, this thing's loud. He goes, it shakes everything. It shakes everything yeah. inside the car. He's right. Yeah. I just didn't, you can't even describe people how loud they are. Insanity. So. Oh yeah. It's, I see a pro charged car or a screw blown car with the zoomies. I automatically know pain is coming when that thing does a burnout it, oh yeah that yeah they're they're louder i remember years of what phil hines i think had the loudest pro charger car in the world he still does so i don't know he, i don't know what he does there that is the loud that car will if you don't have your fingers in your ears he, i swear my ears are gonna bleed when it goes by so i busted his balls about that it lights out on an interview and he basically said it's because of the way the way the headers and the set the exhaust on the cars it just amplifies it that much more. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. I don't know. It's just insane. It's always been loud. Oh, yeah. yeah just like, crazy loud. So. Well, I asked him, I'm like, do you just, do you hate your valve train parts? Do you like to just rip on that car through the burnout the way you do just to see if you can send a push rod to the moon? Yeah. Uh, no, gnarly. like I said, the burnouts, I tell everybody, that's half the fun. Yeah. You know, when you're doing one of these runs, so. Well, Mark, our time here is coming to a close on the podcast, and I like to give my guests their opportunity to uh, kind of, uh, channel their inner John force and just rip off all their sponsors and where people can find them at what's going on now you don't have to impersonate John force Alexis DeJoy is set 
she set the bar, I think, to a level that no one's going to touch with her John Force impersonation, which was phenomenal. Yeah. But but if you just want to rattle off, you know, where to find you on social media, what you got going on, where you're racing, I'll uh, I'll turn the floor over to you and uh let you uh do your thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can catch or like I catch a lot of stuff on us on mmtransmission.com or on our Facebook page. Um, I really got to shout out to a lot of our sponsors that really make it possible. Um, number one would be Garrett, Turbo by Garrett. Those guys have been a huge part of our program forever. We couldn't do it without them. Um, Fuel Tech, Fuel Tech really steps up, gives us what we need, you know, second to none. Uh, Proline Racing, they do all our engines and they, they hit a home run. Um, probably one of the most, my favorite, Mickey Thompson tires. Um, we've been with Mickey Thompson forever. I mean, those guys, without them, I don't think we'd be anywhere near where we were, especially back in my pro mod days. Mickey Thompson was, was the best for us. Um, I mean, got, there's so many, you know, um, weld wheels, trying to think. Bill Miller. Bill Miller's been a big influence on us over the past few years. Um, just, you know, he's he's lived it all and kind of shares some of that wisdom with us. And um, so, yeah, I mean, those are our main guys. I mean, we've got tons and tons of other companies that just go out of their way to give us whatever we need. And so we just really appreciate all those guys. So Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to seeing it at the uh, Sweet 16 and other events this year, and uh, we'll catch up at the track. All right. Sounds great, man. Well, thank you. Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thanks for Mark for stopping by. And as always, may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright. Until next time, folks.